0: All right, and today, Pastor Kevin Larson, our lead pastor here at Caris, is going to be preaching from Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. So please, if you are able, stand as I read from our passage today. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Dear Lord, thank you for Kevin. Thank you for uh, just the way that he uh, loves you, cares for the church, loves the church. Uh, Pray for him today as he uh, looks to preach from your word that you'll give him the right words to say as well as for us the hearts and ears to listen and understand in your name, amen. Thanks,
1: Matt. Good morning once again. Welcome to, to Uh A few years back, when Amy and I briefly lived outside of Missouri, I had the habit of keeping track of what was going on back in my home state. And one day I found myself reading, uh, I think in the St. Louis dispatch online, about a young woman who was missing in a rural area just south of St. Louis. And I got to the part that mentioned the last person who had been seen with her the primary suspect, her ex-boyfriend, and I stopped and I gasped because the name that was listed was none other than that of my roommate during my freshman here at Mizzou. No kidding. So that guy who I shared a room with over at Hatch Hall on campus, a quiet but popular, this, this jovial Aggie econ student who was active in all these different college ministry events was the main subject, suspect in a homicide investigation. Now I still remember my my parents dropping me off for college that fall, so I'm this small town kid being dropped off at this massive state university, and I can't really imagine how my parents must have felt, probably anxious that I'd get, you know, torn apart, led astray by all the wildness on campus. I still remember the first weekend I was there, um, it made national news. A drunk student uh, climbed a utility pole and was electrocuted. You know, the campus at Mizzou can be pretty crazy. That's about as crazy and sad as it gets. But little did my mom and dad know that the real danger might have been right there just across my dorm room. Well, we're continuing through our study through Matthew. We're almost through this section of Christ's teaching that's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in today's passage, Matthew seven fifteen through 20, Jesus warns us. The danger may not be out there, it may be right here in our midst, it may be closer than we think, and so we have to be careful. Our Lord here gives us some words to keep us safe. So Jesus is sitting on the mountain again, he's declaring, I'm the king you've been waiting for. Here's the life, too, that's found in my kingdom. And near the end of the sermon, he warns us to look out for those who would knock you off of his kingdom path. Jesus says, be vigilant, be discerning, because false prophets are coming. Jesus gives us here, in the verses Matt just read, a warning along with a method. So what we need to watch out for along with how we go about doing that. We'll get to each of those, but before we do, there's this presupposition that we need to touch on first. So first, consider a presupposition that Jesus makes. The Lord assumes something, first of all, that we often don't also assume today. What's that? Well, there's such a thing as truth, even absolute truth that stands above us, truth that demands our acknowledgement as well as our allegiance, that it's possible to wander away from that truth. In fact, we're vulnerable to doing that. Now, even if we've come to follow Christ, we're still human, we're still fallen, And we're vulnerable, vulnerable to the lies of the enemy. Think back to the beginning, to the garden, where Adam and Eve heard that voice in Genesis 3. Did God actually say? We still have to fend off that voice today, right? There's this unholy trinity that assails us. The world all around us, our flesh here inside of us, the devil who comes after us, they all say in unison... You can be your own king, you can have your own kingdom. We're vulnerable, we have to admit that. Recently I read this book called The Escape Artist by Jonathan Friedland, really great book. It tells the story of Rudolf Verba, the Slovakian Jew who escaped Auschwitz, the concentration camp in in Poland. Now he's there and he had seen Jews get off trains day after day coming from all over Europe and had seen them walk immediately, unknowingly, into the gas chambers right to their death. And he was determined, I'm going to get out of this place and I'm going to tell the world. So he escaped that extermination camp so that basically he could warn the, the last big group of Jews left alive in Europe, those in Hungary, before they got off the trains, before it was too late. But you know what? What? This really isn't a spoiler. It's in the the Amazon summary if you look at it. People wouldn't listen to him. They they wouldn't. They didn't want to believe that something so awful could really be true, that could really be happening. And there were far too many people, even fellow Jews, who would just reinforce those lies that that wasn't happening at all. Second, see a warning that Jesus gives here. He tells us to beware of teachers who would harm us. He gives us this call to vigilance. We're vulnerable. Life or death is in front of us, and there are those who would shove us toward destruction. He says, beware of false prophets. Well, we hear that word. What are prophets? People who speak for God, right, or or claim to. There can be this element in a prophet of foretelling, speaking of what will come in the future, but usually it has more to do with forthtelling, proclaiming what God wants us to hear now, but Jesus says there'll be false prophets, in the original language literally pseudo-prophets, who will claim to speak for God but won't be, they'll be deceitful. So God called out such teachers back in, Old Test- in the Old Testament through Jeremiah They're lying. I didn't send them, he says in chapter 14. What they're saying comes from their own heads, he says in chapter 23. They'll echo, Jesus is saying, that voice of the serpent. And we have to watch out for their schemes because many will come and lie. And Jesus says, Beware. We also have to watch out because they'll be deceptive. These prophets, he says, will come to you in sheep's clothing but they'll truly be wolves. So if you go back to what Aaron talked about at the beginning of chapter seven, and you need to listen to this because it sounds strange, it's provocative. Dogs, pigs, now at the beginning, now those are easier to spot, but wolves here, on the other hand, Jesus says they come in disguise, right? You might have noticed recently a security guard, an off-duty police officer, That was stationed outside probably for six, eight weeks. And you may also notice our security team is back running again. Well, we had someone visit several weeks in a row. We had to ask to leave. He was pushing some really wrong, dangerous beliefs and honestly was creeping a lot of our women out. So we had to tell him to not come back. Those folks stand out, those are obvious, they're not hard to spot, but Jesus says the real danger is the guy with the smile who's carrying the Bible. So, to my previous analogy, more like the guy sleeping in your dorm room than the dude lurking out in the bushes outside. Jesus says these teachers will be deceptive. They're dressed like sheep, like pious Christians, but actually they're wolves. Therefore, they're dangerous. Wolves, right? They're ravenous, as Jesus says. They're hungry. They want to eat you. They're greedy. They want to rob you. Therefore, we have to watch out or we'll be consumed by them. In Ezekiel, in chapter 22, God is calling out the leaders of of Judah. So the shepherds are the wolves, saying that they're like wolves, tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. That's the effect, that's the motivation of these false teachers. Some of you may remember some of the videos shared right at the beginning of the pandemic. One of them, the plandemic, right? COVID was made up, you know, to take away your freedom, to take the economy, all that. It eventually got taken down, but it also ended up getting people killed. My wife got to see a lot of that firsthand over at University Hospital, Jesus warns us of people who will put on disguises, come to us with lies, package it neatly, great presentation, but they won't just harm our bodies, but our souls. We have to beware of false teachers, of false messages, because otherwise they will destroy us. What's the message of these prophets that Jesus is warning us about here? I think we can learn a lot from the context. Think back to the passage that Aaron talked about a couple of weeks ago. Verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So today what we say, what we hear are things like choose your path, go your own way, speak your truth, you be you, pluralism, right? Plural, many ways to God. We also hear a lot of universalism. We're all going to be okay in the end. Anyhow, no one's going to go to hell except, you know, maybe Hitler, right? That's what our culture says. There are messages that come from one side. We'll, We'll say the left that tell us live your own way. Freedom is what it's about. Pursue that at all costs. Relativism. No absolute truth, no authority over our lives. Teachers surround us just saying those ideas. You don't need God. You can be your own God. That'll destroy us. There are also prophets shouting more from the right. Think about the wider context of the Sermon on the Mount. Who are the villains? Jesus keeps calling out. The Pharisees, right? They surely have to be in Jesus' mind here. What are they yelling out? Legalism? By being a good person, they're saying, by keeping all the rules, by living this moral life, you can please God. But their holiness isn't real, it's only skin deep, just outward. It doesn't get to their heart. And that religion also has no need for God. It's just using God, using his teachings, abusing his teachings to make us feel better about ourselves. We hear that message all the time today as well. And not just, I would say, from people who are religious. And that's just as deadly. A couple of false teachings that have been so prevalent the last few years Christian nationalism, that says being a good American is what it's all about, a prosperity gospel that says God wants to make you healthy and rich. Lots of people out there peddling both of those messages. They're often the same people, and they're trying to lead us down a road that leads to death. We have to look out, church. But we also, as we, as we do, as we're vigilant, we also have to be wise. You've probably heard of the, the famous five-second rule, right? Food falls on the ground, you pick it up, within five seconds you're, you're good. Back in 2016, a Rutgers University microbiologist put that to the test, and he debunked it. Which I say, preach, brother, come on. (laughs) But no matter how quick you grab that food from the floor, it's still going to have bacteria all over it. It's just a dumb rule, right, Right, Anna? Yeah, I hear an amen. But still, I just have to admit, as kind of a germaphobe, that it's still probably not going to kill you. We have to grasp that all teachings are not of equal importance, right? So what we believe about the end times, how it's going to go, it's not as important as why Jesus came to die on the cross, what the atonement's about. Not equally serious, not equally dangerous. If we don't get this, we're going to go around labeling everyone who disagrees with us as false prophets, and that does not make a fun household or a city to live in. We also have to recognize that sometimes people will just get confused, right? The Bible's hard. Like, truth is, is tough, yeah. And that includes you and me. We're going to get confused. We, and we probably don't want to be labeled as a wolf. We all have things we believed in the past that kind of embarrass us today. Like when Amy and I got married and she asked, so why do you have all these jugs of water up in your attic? There's like 50 of them. Like, well, you know, uh, Y2K, you know, when the millennium, you know, when the computers shut down and the utilities shut down, you know, we need to be prepared. Now, if what I said is true, if things we believed in the past, you know, we could all say they embarrass us today, then this isn't real deep. But that means that we probably hold beliefs today that will embarrass us tomorrow, right? We may be in error now. So we may need to have our beliefs corrected, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're evil. If we don't grasp this, we'll walk around playing a game of duck-duck-damned all the time, and that's not what Jesus had in mind here. But Jesus calls us to vigilance. False teachers will try to harm us. They'll seek to deceive us and destroy us, and we have to be ready. Many of you know my wife has been going through cancer treatments. They're done now. She's doing well, Um, but it's been a hard few years. Uh, Recently, I was talking to a friend who lost a family member to the disease. I had heard about this story before, but this loved one died in part because a Kansas City pharmacist had actually diluted her chemo drugs along with a lot of other people and pocketed the profits from that. It made national news. The, The man initially at least ended up getting 40 years we have to be careful Jesus is talking about eternity here he's talking about life and death so a question I think arises if these prophets are so dangerous they're so deceptive they're so deceitful how can we protect ourselves how can we beware of them what are we supposed to to look for then Third, I want you to see a method that Jesus gives us. Christ tells us to protect our family by observing teacher's fruit. He gives us a call to discernment. So from vigilance to discernment. Now before though, before we really get to that question, what we should keep our eyes open for, there are a couple of foundational things that we have to understand. We have to first remember where our actions come from where actions come from. So there's this passage in Matthew 12 that we'll get to one day that helps us explain today a passage. Today's passage even further. So listen to verses 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So, focus with me on verse 34. Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then he says in the following verse that out of a person's treasure, what's there inside of him and her comes out, things good or bad. So what he's saying is, is that our actions spring out of our hearts, right? They flow out of the center of who we really are. So when Jesus speaks about fruit here, he's talking about our deeds, and the movement he gives is from root to fruit. From inside to outside, our fruit we produce on the outside, it demonstrates who we truly are on the inside, our root. Think about the apologies that we see today, seemingly every week, from celebrities, athletes. They commit sexual assault. They punch somebody in a bar. They say something sexist or racist. What do they say? What I did, that's not who I am. Doesn't Jesus say the exact opposite, though? That's exactly who you are, he says. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The fruit we bear flows out of our true nature. As Jesus says in verse 17, healthy trees bear good fruit, diseased trees, though, bear bad fruit. Here's the second thing we have to understand, how transformation takes place. If we want to see change in our lives, we have to start with our hearts. Paul Tripp likes to explain it this way. If you or I walked outside right now, still in the dead of winter, and we started stapling apples to our trees, our neighbors would think that we're nuts, right? Hey, Bob, check out my apple tree. Isn't this awesome? Do you want an apple? That's not the way it works, right? But that's how we so often try to approach change. We try to clean up our speech, do a few good deeds, try to become a good person, but that won't work because we can't produce fruit that's contrary to our nature. We need our hearts transformed to where we're treasuring Christ most of all, and then our actions will flow out of that. Now, let me be clear. When Christ saves us, he makes us born again. He gives us new hearts. He makes us a new type of tree. Jesus says in verse 16, "'Grapes can't be gathered from thorn bushes. "'You can't get figs off of thistle plants.'" But God can change us. He can make us, by his grace, new kinds of plants. He can change us at the root of us so that we produce then good fruit. As Christians, of course, we're still susceptible to those lies from the world, the flesh, the devil. Fundamentally, we are a different kind of tree if we're in Christ. But we still have to fight to treasure Christ every day and to grow and change in him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 gives us the pathway to being transformed, to have hearts that are different, that result in different actions. Paul writes, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So he's saying we become what we behold, and we should behold Christ. Who we are is determined by what we worshiped. Therefore, what or who we worship is really what determines what we do. Okay, so what does all this have to do with false prophets? Well, if our root leads to our fruit, if we want to test what kind of person someone is, we can also go the other direction. We can trace from fruit to root. That's the method that Jesus is giving us here, the approach He gives. He says in verse 16 and verse 20, you will recognize them by their fruit. If it's good, if it's healthy, so must be the tree. But we have to be fruit inspectors. That is, if we want to keep ourselves and our household here safe. Now, what type of fruit is Jesus maybe talking about here? He's not talking about apples, he's not talking about pears. It surely has to start first with the teacher's teaching, right? So if it doesn't fit with the word of God, if it doesn't go with the gospel of Jesus, we can know for sure that it's a false teacher we're dealing with. But that's not always that easy to grasp, right? We can get confused. A lot of times people can use the right words. They have different definitions. Maybe they're manipulating They may even be teaching something that's right, but there are other problems that we have to see. So, second, we need to look for the teacher's attitude. In John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And then he makes this contrast between him and what he calls a hired hand, who doesn't own the sheep, doesn't really care about the sheep. And when a wolf comes, he runs. He gets out a dodge. False prophets are in it for themselves, for money, for fame, for power. My friend Rick puts it this way. Jesus uses what he has to benefit you. False teachers use what you have to benefit them. Now, this isn't always easy to discern. And even faithful pastors and leaders struggle with their motives But the prophet's attitude is also something to watch for. Third, look out for a teacher's conduct. This is probably the main thing Jesus is talking about here, the conduct. Does he or she exhibit the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or maybe instead the works of the flesh that are listed just following in that same passage. If it's the latter, if the fruit is all bad, you could probably guess that there's something wrong with the root and you're dealing with a teacher that's false. Today, you can hear someone preach, you can read articles they post, you could get this really great impression, but then you go look on Twitter and see what they're posting and it's something really different or maybe you see them out in the community. No one's perfect, of course, but you see something completely opposite out there. You don't glimpse Jesus through them at all Maybe the teacher's teaching is even true, but is there love from this prophet, from this, tre- this teacher? If not, you'd better watch out. We should also, fourth, think about a teacher's influence. What's the fruit in the followers of the prophet? So leaders make followers. They're making disciples. What do the disciples look like? Do they teach bad doctrine? Do they have selfish attitudes? Are they complete jerks? Leaders reproduce themselves so you can see a lot in the little images walking around. Now, I've said this a couple of times, but we have to look for this fruit again because it's a matter of life and death. Hear what Jesus says in verse 19 again. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So dead, bad trees end up as firewood. These teachers, he's saying, will end up in hell. And they're for sure going to do what they can to take others with them. So we have to take care that we're not also led astray and end up right there with them. Now, as we go about... This fruit inspection, we have to be careful. That's because it's just really easy to be critical, right? You can easily turn into a heresy hunter, kind of finding what you think is a heretic behind every bush. You might find yourself writing a discernment blog, you know, where you're constantly tearing into your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can find yourself producing some pretty rotten fruit, And someone might need to ask if you're a false teacher. But my friend Tyler St. Clair is a pastor in Detroit. Says that in dealing with wolves, we still have to act graciously. Pointing out error, calling them to repentance, having a Christ-like disposition. Even with people who may be leading others astray. Um, More on that in a little bit. But here's another thing we have to remember. Discerning someone's fruit can take a significant amount of time though. Right, you might have heard of this family in China that adopted a dog, or at least they thought it was a dog, right? They thought they had taken this Tibetan mastiff into their home. A couple years later, though, they realized their mistake because it had gotten to 250 pounds. It wouldn't stop eating, wouldn't stop growing. It turns out it was a bear, right? (laughs) And they had to have the thing taken away. Like, you should see the pictures of this. We got to get him out or we're going to get eaten. The fruit may not appear until later. It may take a while, but the truth will be evident at some point, right? Now, I was thinking about this week that I think this also applies to the teacher's disciples. So, hope this doesn't step on too many toes here, but I I think you're too young for it. But I remember back in the day when this guy named Rob Bell was really popular. So, he had these videos he called NUMA videos, Left a lot of people like me thinking, you know that I think that theology is kind of off. And then a few years later, he wrote this book called Love Wins that said there's many ways to God. Nobody's going to hell. That kind of made it really clear. But now I look back at some of his biggest fans that I know today, and many of them are nowhere near the church. They've turned their backs on Christ. I also think of the Christian political movement of the 80s and the 90s that somehow I managed to escape from, but this so-called moral majority. So those who grew up listening to that, I would argue, are a lot of the people that are posting the wild things on Facebook right now, and many of their kids, as a result, have no desire to ever step in a church building again. So the fruit can be seen not just in the person and what they're doing, but the people they impact down the road. We have to beware of false prophets, we have to exercise vigilance, we have to look at their fruit, show discernment, otherwise we'll end up in a bad place and potentially harm those around us. Now, before I I wrap up, there are a couple of questions I want to address that I think deal with how we apply these words. And the first would be, what action should we take when false prophets are revealed? What do we do? So, in that same article from my friend Tyler, he still says we have to act urgently, we have to act boldly. So, hear me, we don't pet wolves, right? We don't feed them. We don't let them in our homes so they can devour our children. You know, if we realize we have a bear, yeah, we have a problem. We have to deal with this. We have to treat that differently than we would sheep or even goats. Our people are going to die. So this could mean church discipline if someone is a member of our church, or even barring people from worship or our events if they're not, because people have to be warned. Sometimes people have to be called out publicly because we have to, from what Jesus says here, protect one another. Second, how can we protect ourselves from the influence the influence of false teachers? So how can we grow in vigilance? How can we grow in discernment? How can we be proactive about it? Four quick words on that. First, obvious but hard to live out. We must root ourselves in God's Word and in His Gospel. We have to study our Bibles. We have to know what they teach. If we want to keep ourselves safe, we're all theologians. We all have doctrine. The question is, are we good theologians or bad ones? Are we susceptible to false messages and messengers, or are we not? We also have to grow in marveling at his good news, at who Jesus is and what he's done, that has to be more near and dear to our hearts. If we're rooted in Christ, if we're rooted in his life, death, and resurrection, if we love the true gospel, we'll be far less likely to fall for counterfeit ones. Second, we have to exercise caution with the media we consume. Now's when you're supposed to say amen. Books, podcasts, social media, for sure. So go back a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. If you wanted to get a, a message out, you had to have crazy access, right? You had to know people who knew people um, to get on TV, get on the radio, you know, to get your message out. Now it's easy, right? Anybody can do that right on their phone. You have no idea who you're listening to, what they believe, what their credentials, what the lack of, You you have no idea what they're doing in the next room after they shut down the Instagram video. Watch what you consume, Don't get your Bible teaching off of TikTok, right? Now, you might say, Kevin, so the the authors on the resource table out there, are they a part of Karas? I'd say, no, they're not. Yeah, you're right, okay? But they've been vetted by your leaders here, and that leads to my next point. So third, we must plant ourselves deeply in a local church, here, somewhere else, that preaches the Bible and preaches the gospel, So I would just appeal to you. I'm nothing special. None of our guys here are either. But get your teaching primarily from the pastors you know. Right? Learn and grow mainly through believers you love. From people who know you. From people whose fruit you can see. I can't tell you how bizarre it's been to be in a season where we've had people leave our church, because of a YouTube video or two that they've watched, when we've literally baptized them and performed their wedding. But you know, um, Mr. Beast or whoever on YouTube says this, and so, wow, you guys are messed up. I mean, it's crazy. And I know Satan has to applaud it. Podcasts can be great, I listen to them. But they shouldn't be our primary diet. And you should have people around you helping you sort out what is good and healthy. On that note, fourth, this is probably the biggest thing. We have to fight to grow in humility. We do. Surround yourself with believers you trust. Lean on them to sort through the messages you hear. If one of them tells you that a teacher you're listening to is off, listen to them. If they tell you that book you're reading is not sound, be humble enough to consider what they say. Find those that you can trust, that you can submit to, or I would just say find another community, find different friends, but realize as you do that 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 can be dangerous and the problem could be and likely is with you. Seek to grow in humility. Well, Jesus teaches us here that it's important for us to keep the household of God safe. If you suspected there was an intruder in your home, you'd do whatever you could to protect your kids from danger. If you began to realize that one of your roommates was dangerous, you'd take drastic measures to get him or her out of the house. We have to be vigilant. We have to be discerning, as Jesus says here. Last week, we installed two new elders in Carus and that was a great day, and I'm excited to have these guys on the team. I mentioned that a title for elder is pastor. They both, both those titles refer to the same group of guys. Pastor means shepherd, and what do shepherds do? They provide for the flock, teaching, feeding, and they also protect the flock. They keep the flock safe. I want you to hear these words from Paul in the book of Acts. He, he gathers together the elders of Ephesus, and he says these words that fit with what Jesus says here so well. He says, So it's important to have leaders that know what God's Word says, know how to teach it. It's also why it's so critical that they're wise, that they're brave, because wolves will come and they have to protect. But Jesus here isn't just talking to elders, right? He's talking to all of us. Jesus says to his disciples like us, beware of false prophets. You will recognize them by their fruit. It's all of our responsibility to look after our brothers and sisters, to not let wolves run rampant in our midst. We all have to know how to read our Bibles. We all have to know how to spot counterfeits when we see them. We all have to be bold and courageous. Yes, involving church leaders when you need to, but if we see something, we say something, we do something Because our health, even our destiny is at stake. But even more than that, we have to watch over our own hearts, right? Paul says to those elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. That's not just elders, that's all of us. We have to watch over our hearts. We have to let our brothers and sisters help us there. Because again, we're all prone to lies. We're all vulnerable to hearing the voice of that ancient serpent saying, you can't trust him. You can be your own king. Cars course, we're far more vulnerable than we realize to false teachers that Jesus speaks about here, so we have to remain humble before God, before others, and hungry for his word and his gospel. Jesus says here, Matthew 5, 7, 7 15 through 20, Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, be vigilant, be discerning, false prophets are coming. Let's pray. God, um, thank you that we are your sheep, that we're your flock, that you died to bring us into your fold. Protect us, I pray, by your Holy Spirit, by each other. Lord, we want to be your citizens in this kingdom. We want to honor you as king. We want to walk down the straight and narrow with you um, forever. Um, we need your help. We need your grace. We need your grace in one another, and we ask you, Lord, to help us hear these words, and I pray they would give us a, a good sort of um, fear, vul- yeah, vulnerability, um, humility. Um, we could just see our need, um, but we would also just trust you, Lord, to work through um, the the gifts you've provided that are all around us and um, to keep us safe, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.